I'm Nat Finley. And I'm Adele Herman. You are listening to And We Go On, a podcast produced by She Unites. We are a nonprofit located in Dubuque, Iowa, with the mission of uniting women from across the Midwest to build a stronger community through engagement, genuine conversation, companionship, and supporting causes that matter. Our vision for the show is to continue the conversation had at our monthly educational events for women by women. And now we go on. Hi, I'm Natalie Finley. <laughs> and I'm Adele Herman. And this is And We Go On. We are here with Liza Johnson. Um, we had Liza almost a year ago, or right exactly a year ago, um, last year, speaking about emotional intelligence. We are so excited to carry on this conversation with her. Um, and we are here to welcome her. So welcome, Liza. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. It's really fun being in Adele's house and seeing all <laughs> these microphones and headphones and contraptions, I guess. I mean, it's super cool. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here, but also just experience this. This is great. I know. Yeah, definitely. It is fun. So give us a little bit of background about you and how you got started with emotional intelligence and um, all those fun letters behind your name. Yeah, sure. Well, um, it's been kind of a long twisted journey, but uh, I will start with my role at uh, let's let's kind of fast forward. So my role at Clinton High School. Right. So I was a, I actually started out as a high school guidance counselor. I went to um, school, my undergrad in psychology and my master's is in school counseling. And so I decided I wanted to be a high school guidance counselor. So started at Clinton High. Uh, my husband was going to Palmer Chiropractic at that time. So we lived in Quad Cities and commuted. Um, and I quickly realized that this job was really disheartening to me um, because I put a lot of time and effort into I want to um, help people. I want to, uh, you know, impact students' lives. And I found that I was going into meetings and it was very uh, challenging and frustrating just because uh, there were very angry parents and maybe frustrated administrators. And I didn't feel like I had a voice at that point. Um, and so it was going into meetings and then taking notes and going back to my office. And so I almost felt like a case manager, not impacting students' lives that way. So uh, I just did some reflection and got out into the community. Fortunately, Jason Woods, who was uh, at Ashford University that was right up the street from Clinton High, he was a Loris alumni where I graduated from. And so I worked with him with college students and he said, hey, are you ever looking to kind of, you know, can I steal you away from Clinton High? And I said, well, let's talk about this a little bit, right? So I was working with a mentor program with high school students and college students. And he said, well, we're looking for an outreach coordinator. I think you'd be an awesome position for that. And so um, took that opportunity and then uh, got into the position of career services. And from there, uh, I applied at University of Dubuque. And luckily, I got that position there. So that's how I got into UD was career services. And um, how I got introduced to emotional intelligence was I took a personal empowerment workshop at UD. And it was an emotional intelligence training program. Um, and so... I was taking it because I wanted it to, I guess, as a resource for my students. I've been hearing about emotional intelligence and employers wanting this for students. Um, but lo and behold, it literally uh, just changed my life. So it was for me in that moment. Um, I learned a lot about myself and uh, the relationships that I held with emotions and what I thought about it and how I could maybe reframe that or rechoose my thinking to uh, create a better or a healthy relationship with emotions. So long story short, um, I got introduced to emotional intelligence, the training side at University of Dubuque. Okay. I don't think I knew that you started at Clinton. Yeah. Clinton High. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's so fun. So how long, remind me, how long was that training that you? Yeah. So it was during J term. So it was every day, um, six, I think it was six or eight days for three hours per day. So it's pretty intense. Mm. Um, we've yeah. now changed a little bit just on the feedback that we need some days to like process in between mm. that. Um, but that experience was pretty transformative for me in a very short amount of time. Um, when you think about it, my undergrad is in um, psychology and I have a master's in school counseling um, and never really had the opportunity to explicitly learn about emotions until coming to this kind of random workshop at UD and being like, here's what this is. What does this mean to you? Um, and by the way, what are you feeling? How do you identify it? How are you validating? How are you sitting with it? Um, that was pretty transformative to me to actually apply these concepts and frameworks and not just talk about it. So that was, that was really a, an awesome opportunity for me. 
That's cool. So with that, so if someone was like, what on earth are you talking about when, you talk, when you're saying <laughs> yeah. emotional intelligence? Yeah, yeah. Like, those are some big words Yeah, and kind of intimidating. Yeah. So what would give us, we talked a little bit about the framework. Give us a little bit of like the framework of what, emo, like the start of it. Yeah. Um, so when I was at Shoe Nights, I talked a lot about just emotions in general. And I didn't get mm-hmm. the chance to talk about, okay, so how do we actually put this into action? And I think that's really the, uh, the downfall of emotional intelligence is that a lot of these trainings are just uh, telling people what emotional intelligence is. Here's the knowledge of it, but actually how do I do it? And so uh, I stumbled across six seconds, the emotional intelligence network, which is a fantastic nonprofit organization that really puts EQ into practice. Um, and all my other gurus out there who are EQ uh, gurus, I guess you'll understand Daniel Goleman who wrote the book emotional intelligence in the nineties. Um, th- there was a chapter in the book called self, uh, self science. And so this chapter was actually one of the founders of six seconds a long time ago. So anyway, a pioneer in this work started this organization and said the same thing. Um, Daniel Goleman wrote this EQ book. It's all about the knowledge of it, but how do you do it? And so animal Jensen, um, and Josh Friedman, the co-founders of Six Seconds, created a framework called No Choose Give. So know yourself, choose yourself, give yourself. Um, it's a little confusing if you don't really know all of it, but I'll, I'll briefly explain it. It's um, about self-awareness, self-management, relationship management, and empathy, right? So putting it into play. But what they've done is created eight competencies within No Choose and Give. And so um, to really put it in practical terms, if I'm walking into any situation um, or if I am approached with a challenge, or maybe I just need to have a conversation with my daughter or a coworker, any situation, I can take no choose give into that, uh, into that event. And so what I do in the situation is, um, I can ask myself three questions that what is, what am I feeling? What are my options or choices? And what, what's the bigger picture? What I truly want to happen um, and I don't think I gave you that example of Brooke, my daughter in Etchie Unites. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Okay. So let me quickly apply this. So, um, my daughter who is now, um, eight years old, um, about two years ago, she would do this thing called floppy fish. So if you're a parent, you understand like when they go down on the floor and they're just like, Oh my gosh, I can't do anything. Right. So she was trying to get her shoes on and we were trying to leave for the bus and we only had about two or three minutes to get going. And so Brooke was, I said, Brooke, we have to get going. We're going to be late for the bus right away. Boom. She went right on the floor. She's doing this floppy fish. And she's like, mom, my, my shoes are too scratchy. They're too itchy. We're not going to make the bus. My life is over. And I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. Right. So I, I always have to pause and breathe, take a deep breath in. And I ask myself three questions. What am I feeling? What are my options choices here? And what do I truly want to happen? Right. And so um, what am I feeling? I'm feeling extremely frustrated. I'm feeling defeated as a mom. I'm feeling like a failure. Um, and so that that in itself, just by identifying and recognizing that feeling, I'm actually decreasing that intensity. So um, there's a thing called name entertainment. So if I can name that emotion, then I can actually tame that intensity. So that, that's helping me right there. But then I go to choose yourself, which is what options do I have, right? The the choices or options that are obvious are I can be very reactional in that situation. I can raise my voice and say, Brooke, we got to go, right? And that outcome is probably not going to lead to what I truly want, which is what do I truly want to happen? Um, so, we got to get on the bus. Right? Yeah, yeah, we got to get on the bus, right? And, and I also truly want to have a great relationship with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to leave her with this emotional maybe baggage or these these really icky pieces going onto the bus and then going to school. I don't want to go to work feeling guilty or defeated. I don't want her going to school feeling sad and upset. Um, so that's what I truly want. I want us to be in a good state um, to go our separate ways. And so when I think about that bigger picture, I can then look at my other options that I might not think that I have in that in that moment, right? So instead of that reactional uh, choice of raising my voice, I do have other choices like, I could take a moment, get down on the floor, look her in the eye and in a calm voice say, Brooke, I really want to help you here. I understand you're frustrated. I'm frustrated too. How can I help you get your shoes on? How can I help us together? Right. Um, so there, there are always options. I mean, there's another option of I can pick her up, take her shoes and I can walk her to the bus stop. Right. Um, but I think KCG is a helpful 
three questions I can take in any situation, um, whether it be a difficult one or even like, a, like if I go to see you nights, right. Mm-hmm. What am I, when I was going to present, what am I feeling? What are my options and what I truly want? Like I can, I can take that into any situation to really create a more intentional outcome. Um, but to have a more optimal, um, result. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's, that's kind of in the nutshell of how to bring emotional intelligence into action and plain and simple emotional intelligence is just being smarter with our feelings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, well, what does that mean? And it's, it's like, well, you can be smart in math. You can be smart in reading. You can be smart in all these other things. It's the same thing as if you are smart in math, like, what do you have to do? You have to pay attention to the numbers and you have to be pretty precise in looking at that. Right. And you use that information to make good decisions or to solve an equation. Same thing as being smart with feelings. Like I have to pay attention to um, how I'm feeling. I have to identify that, but I also have to recognize that and gather that data to make a good decision on how do I want to interact with this person or how do I want to, um, to handle this conflict. Right. So just gathering that data to make better decisions. I love the way that you put that because I honestly never even thought about emotions in that sense. Like you said, like with math or, you know, right. It's another skill. Another skill. Yeah. Yeah. So we can, we can go more into the framework too. Now that you've given that example, um, would you say that like, how has, when you apply this in your everyday life, because I remember you saying it it has even helped you like with your, you and your husband, like communicating Mm -hmm. with your husband, like, when did you have like an aha moment like afterwards or was it just like a constant practice? That's a great question. I think it's a constant practice. Um, I think I have like aha moments even after 10 years of doing the work. Right. So um, and I think that's because I have the privilege of leading a lot of different trainings with college students, with adults in different industries. And so, um, you know, when I'm facilitating this, I'm listening to people's different perspectives and then I'm learning actually from their perspectives yeah. too. Um, so that's really cool experience for me, but I do think, um, it takes a lot of time and research is saying, so six seconds says that they have kind of a timeline of when this can actually become a habit. If you're practicing mm-hmm. this intentionally, um, they say about three and a half years is mm. when it actually can become a habit. Um, so when you take that first training or that first workshop, it's really kind of just that first stage. And it's not that's what EQ is not. It's not this like magic bullet that you can just take a workshop and you're going to be this EQ master. Um, I honestly don't think anyone can be an EQ master. We're human. We're always learning and growing. We're making mistakes, but we can always understand how to to to, to do better, or be better in that mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like, I felt like when I listened or, um, when I read outliers, like it just gives you a new perspective on what actually you have to do to become an outlier or, a you know, a master at something mm-hmm. and what, you know, in growing and learning and through those skills. So yeah, that's really cool. I had no idea that just the length of that. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. So as women, and I, I put this and maybe actually let's take it back. Yeah. Let's go through the framework first. Cause I do have okay. a few questions. Yeah. We have a few questions from you. So the, Let's chat a little bit more about like the framework of emotional intelligence. Okay. Um, Well, to get more in depth in it, there's eight competencies within the KCG model. So in the know yourself, which is a self-awareness stage, um, there's two competencies, enhancing emotional literacy and recognizing patterns. So part of that awareness stage is being able to have the words to identify an emotion. And there's been times where I'm in a situation and I get um, really frustrated because I don't even know what I'm feeling. I can't, I can't put a word to it. And so um, a lot of the work is just enhancing that vocabulary. So when you are in that moment, you can identify and choose that word to have. Um, And then recognizing patterns is, is really important is understanding what are the good habits and bad habits that I've associated um, myself with, or what, what have I, when I think, feel and act because emotional intelligence is really looking at it's an inside job of looking at how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, how I'm doing. And so what are my patterns around thinking? What are my patterns around feeling? So when I feel angry, what do I typically do? Uh, when I think this, what do I typically do? Uh, when I drive to work, what do I typically do? Right. So just recognizing those patterns. Um, once I'm aware of those patterns and I want to maybe maintain that or change that I can, but I first need to be aware of that pattern before changing it. Um, so that is the the self-awareness stage. So choose yourself is the self-management stage. So there's four competencies, consequential thinking, navigating emotions, intrinsic motivation, and optimism. And so 
that's a lot to talk about, but a lot of it is understanding that I need to stop and take a pause. If you look at the KCG model, there's actually mm-hmm. colors associated to it. Um, and the choose yourself has read. So this stage is really, I just need to take a pause. I need to take a moment and I need to think about what choices I have. And so these optimism, intrinsic motivation, navigating emotions and consequential thinking can help me look at that. Um, I'm going to put it all together after I talk about give yourself, cause I'm going to go back to being smarter with feelings about data. It'll make sense in a, in a minute. Okay. So then when I go to give yourself, which is the green, which is go right. So that's the, like the self-direction it's relationship management. It's empathy. The two concepts are increasing empathy and pursuing noble goals. Um, increasing empathy. A lot of us now know what empathy is. Right. And so really, thank you, Brene Brown. Yes. Thank you. Brene Brown. Um, and then six seconds introduced me to meepathy, which is having empathy for oneself as well. Um, which sometimes is the harder part of mm-hmm. that. Oh, yeah. So, um, those, those two aspects are important as far as give yourself, but then this idea of pursuing a noble goal. And so it's, that really opened my eyes up and it helped me to, actually have like, it's almost like a mantra. It's a statement that I can uh, easily see and grab in um, maybe difficult times or just in general when I'm making decisions or interacting with other people. It's something where how do I want to show up? Um, How do I want to uh, leave this person? How do I want them to feel after I interact with them? How do I want to uh, maybe empower my community, right? All these things stem down to this mantra, um, which is a really cool um, idea that I never really gave time to until six seconds. So those are the competencies within KCG, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, what I want to go back to is being smart of feelings is when I look at no choose give, it's know yourself is first off, I have to gather the data. So I have to identify right how I'm feeling, gathering the data, choose yourself is evaluating the data, and then um, give yourself is using the data. So gather, evaluate, use. And so when I'm smarter with feelings, if I can take all that data, gather it, if I can evaluate, then I can use it to make optimal decisions in that. This episode of And We Go On is sponsored by Flight of Fifth Blues and Barbecue. Come experience where the blues and barbecue of Beale Street meets the jazz and Cajun food of Bourbon Street at this from scratch kitchen in Bellevue, Iowa. Known for their incredible house-smoked meats and Southern specialties, Flatted Fifth has been featured by Southern Living Magazine, Food and Wine Magazine, and the Iowa Tourism Awards. Grab a bite at Flatted Fifth at their flagship Bellevue, Iowa location in the historic Potter's Mill or at their debut kitchen inside Dimensional Brewing Company. For more information, head to pottersmill.net. So when you were putting names to your feelings, like what did that look like? Or like, I feel like most of the time I'm like, oh, I'm mad or I'm frustrated or I'm sad. Mm -hmm. And it really, I feel like that it's probably more complex than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, even with your kids or as you teach these students or, you know, grown adults, also also men, like, I mean, you, you go into corporations and you teach this. Yeah. I mean, do you have grown men look at you and you're like, you're crazy. (laughs) You want me to do what? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting all the trainings I've done, but I've, I've been in training at a long training with police officers and oh, I remember you talking mostly about that. Yeah. all male, right. Except yeah. for one female. And so, Hey guys, we're going to be talking about feelings all day long. <laughs> Who's excited about that? Right. And so, um, I think it's just the way that our society has taught us about emotions and our backgrounds and there's a lot of stigma around it. And so my job, a lot of my job is really debunking a lot of these myths associated with emotional intelligence. One being, it's really okay to talk about feelings, right? In mm-hmm. um, not so like, you know, let me bring uh, Kleenex and, you know, share and be very uh, therapeutic here. It's not about that. It's really just checking in with someone and seeing how they're feeling to then connect with them in more appropriate ways. And mm-hmm. so um, I think it's really just debunking a lot of the myths. And so when I go to any space, it's really uh, just having them buy into, right? This mm-hmm. is This is going to be what this looks like. And here's what the research is saying. If we're not doing this, 
here's what's happening. There's so many people problems because we're not doing these things. It could be brain health. It can be, um, you know, overall well-being. It could be careers being derailed, whatever it is. There's so much research that if we're not getting into these skills, Mm -hmm. that there's gonna be a lot of problems. And so a lot of people are like, wow, I never really um, looked at the research. I've only, you know, been told this, or this is my background, but after looking at the research and truly understanding what emotions are, that it's a biological process that, they're just data. That's it. Um, I can now maybe move forward in this training uh, a little bit more than if I didn't have this information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit um, about how emotions are contagious? I remember you talking when you spoke last March about them being contagious. um, And why do you think we try to avoid them, ignore them, all that good stuff? Yeah. Um, So I'll talk about emotions are contagious. I think emotions are an awesome resource and asset to us when we talk about connection and uh, just building this amazing space with people or creating a culture. For example, um, you know, I think an anxious boss will create a very anxious workplace, right? I think a, um, a optimistic or cheerful teacher will create a optimal learning environment for students to maybe be more engaged. And so I think as uh, humans, we um, have feelings. We have feelings all the time. They, I talk about feelings are like uh, cars on a freeway. They're always coming and going. Right. And so uh, we just have to be more mindful of that. And part of emotional intelligence is the other side, right? It's the intra and inter. And so if I can be aware of not only how I'm feeling, but how other people are feeling, um, I can say, okay, it looks like Nat and Adele are feeling this way. I can show up in this space uh, doing this because I know emotions are contagious. I can maybe create this more creative environment or maybe a more optimistic space by just dialing up or dialing down my emotional, uh, the content, the nature, the intensity of what that might look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why we, we shy away from it. Um, again, I don't necessarily think, uh, sharing our feelings or showing our feelings, um, or even including, uh, feelings in decision-making is accepted in some of our, um, spaces in society. And that's just kind of where we're at. And I, like I said, I deal with that, not only with my students that struggle with that idea, but uh, certain professions for sure uh, struggle with that idea of, I just, I don't feel comfortable sharing how I feel with my employers or my employees, you know, mm-hmm. that's just not uh, who I want to be or how to show up. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that um, are just not accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If someone was like nervous to share their feelings in their workplace, what would you I mean, any like tips to be like, Hey, start here. Or, you know, what, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, it's very personalized and very situationalized, but, um, I do think the questions are, uh, I guess the why behind it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why is it, do you not feel comfortable being vulnerable in front of someone? Is it, um, I don't know where this is going to lead, or I'm nervous about someone asking me how they're feeling. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure what I need to say back. I don't know how Mm. to respond. Right. So there's all these like, what ifs and like gray area that if I get into this emotional stuff, I'm not sure if I'm prepared or equipped to, Mm. to dive into these things. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think it's situational and personalized, but that's what I I see. And I, I think some of the steps to help with that is, is just, looking at emotional intelligence and being curious about there, there's a lot of different trainings and a lot of different resources. Um, the one that I found really helpful when I was starting, um, just reading about it. So EQ 2.0 by Travis Bradbury is, is really quick read. It's really helpful. It has an assessment. It kind of tells you where you're at with your Mm. EQ. Um, but you can just, it's a self-paced thing. Uh, the other one that's like a workbook, that's a lot of reflection based is called the EQ workout by Josh Friedman, which I think is fantastic because it's a self-paced, um, guide that really takes you deep into it. Mm. Uh, but you can also maybe create a community around that if you wanted to dig deep. So there's resources out there. Um, but I think just diving on the internet and kind of, you know, just searching it out. I think six seconds is a fantastic website. Um, they have a lot of free resources, so you can really dive into that information. And they also have a lot of like free webinars just mm. to, to kind of go into and, and search. So, um, that would probably be like 
I guess the suggestions on that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, more of like the emotions and decision-making. And I think it happens a lot in the workplace. Um, the, how can keeping emotions out of decision-making help or hurt the situation? Mm, Okay. Great question. I feel like I get this one all the time. No, because I was taught, and that was one of the questions I was taught, keep the emotion out of it when you make a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. let it be logic first. Let it be logic mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. always. So like some I have to like really push against that to my core. Yeah, absolutely. And when I go into the classroom or trainings, I say, raise your hand if you've ever heard or done just leaving emotions out of decision making. Every hand goes up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a deeply rooted thing in our culture to say, like, leave emotions out, right? Or mm-hmm. check your emotions at the door, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, right? I don't know why I'm so, rolling my eyes when I am. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, yeah. Um, and so I was told that too, right? And it's, it is, I think, uh, it was hard for me at first to be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, whatever you say, like, this is just how I'm, I'm still going to do it. That's just how I know this is kind of my safe zone. Like I'm not going to go there, but after, you know, doing a lot of research and doing a lot of webinars and and looking into it, um, there's no way that we can leave emotion out of it. We are human beings. Like Mm -hmm. you can't leave it out. It's always going to be there. Mm -hmm. You're just stuffing it or shoving it or whatever. Right. But it's always going to be there. And so again, I think emotions are resources for us, but they are purely data. So I'll go back to Travis Bradbury, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. He put it so practically and so simple that um, when, so essentially we cannot leave emotions out of it and how our senses get processed in the brain was like mind blowing to me. So all our five senses have to go through the spinal cord, which have to process through our limbic system, which is our emotional brain before it can get housed, pushed to the pre cortex, right? Which is our logic chamber. So essentially we cannot leave emotions out of it because we have to be able to blend the two. Mm. So emotional intelligence is literally blending our feeling and thinking brains together. Mm. It's not just making decisions based on emotions. It's not just making decisions based on logic. It's actually blending the two to make optimal decisions. And so, um, there's, there's moments where they call it emotional hijack, right? When we basically make a decision based all on emotion, cause we just have been hijacked. Right. And so we know that that's not the optimal place. And we've also probably made decisions based on logic, but we know maybe that wasn't the best case either. And so here's where I would say, why is that important to be able to use emotions when uh, making a decision? I think uh, there's this, you know, when we make a decision, we're not using that emotional data that's given to us. I think sometimes that's going to kind of kick us in the butt, right? So for example, I may, I might make a decision based on logic, but that is not true to my core values. That is not mm-hmm. true to what I believe, what I value, um, what I feel, what I think, but I'm just going to leave it out and I'm just going to make that logical decision. And so, uh, we want to be logic. Absolutely. But we also want to use that emotional data that is so important to us that's telling us that gut feeling is saying, okay, I need to pay attention to that because something important is happening here. And I need to understand what that feeling is telling me to do so that I can then use that data, but also think about it logically. So really blending the two together, if that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's not easy, but I mean, there's a lot of tools from EQ that, and other things like there's so many things out there that, um, even mindfulness and and breathing and just all these different things can really help us be more mindful in, in blending those two, uh, thinking and feeling brains to make those optimal decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think so? <sighs> in my twenties, I felt like I made really fast decisions and I didn't sit with things for very long. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like as I've learned to sit with decisions longer and to like identify, you know, feelings and what I actually really want and going back to like my values. And like, did you think over time, like after you maintained all this knowledge, like what did that look like? Like shift in how you parented and like how you did everyday life. And you know what I mean? Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, 
I also think like our brains are not fully developed by what, 23, 24, oh something God. like that, right? I so I didn't make the best <laughs> decisions in my 20s. Well, and it, it, like give yourself some grace because your brain was not fully developed and my right. brain was not fully developed at that time, right? And so I even tell my college students, guys, your brains aren't fully developed yet. But like, listen, like this is so cool that we're talking about these things because we can think about it, right? Oh, right. And so, um, and to have those tools at that age, like those tools, yeah, yeah. yes. Huge. Yeah. Wish yeah. I yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's one issue. And then I think this journey has really, um, the pause is huge. Mm. I try to pause because I am so go, 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 go all the time. My brain is just, I'm thinking and, and thinking and thinking and I'm doing and doing. And sometimes I don't uh, pause. And I realized that the pause is so important to sit with it, to evaluate before I make that decision. So that has been really helpful, whether it be, um, my conversations with my husband, when things might be a little heated, um, sometimes I do a great job and sometimes I don't, you know? And so, I know that, man, what did you do really bad there? You did not listen and you did not take the pause. Right. And so, um, understanding that I think for me, if I don't take the pause, I become like maybe a little more reactional in my decisions or even in the way, um, I'm interacting with my children or my husband. Um, so I think that has been really helpful is just being able to pause and evaluate. Um, but also I think that pursuing noble goal has been really helpful is, Um, how do I want to make this decision based on what I truly value and stand for? Is this aligned with uh, what I want? Or is this something that I'm just doing because I'm trying to please someone or I'm trying to just get it off my desk, right? So I think there's things where it comes back to a sense of purpose, um, but also being more intentional. So I think intentionality and purpose have really been more at the top of my head um, throughout this process. And I think that's been helpful. Again, I'm not saying I'm master in it because I do fall flat on my face some days, but I understand that I have to have empathy, give myself grace, don't, you know, self-sabotage and and feel like I'm a victim all day. I have to get up and be like, what can you do different? Say you're sorry, mean it, look him in the eye, give him a hug, you know, and truly mean what you you say but then the next day, try to do better. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really what I've learned and still learning throughout this journey. That's cool. So remind me, did you, when you did your doctorate, what, remind me, did that, did that tie into emotional intelligence? Yeah. So my um, dissertation was on social emotional learning, which is essentially emotional intelligence. We, we talk about SEL, like K through 12, and then emotional intelligence into higher education than um, adult life or organizations. But uh, my uh, dissertation was on a program evaluation of the personal empowerment program, which is Mm. basically we're teaching social, emotional learning, emotional intelligence to our students and faculty and staff. Um, And so evaluating that program to say, is it making a difference? How can we improve upon this? Um, Are students actually gaining these tools that we're trying to, that's the objective of the course is trying to provide them those tools to um, be better, do better. Yeah. Is this something that's particularly unique to UD? Very unique to UD and just uh, nationally. I mean, it's not happening in higher education. So there's a lot of, um, I guess, people that will reach out and say, okay, you're teaching students social emotional learning in the higher education sector. How did you get this approved? How did you start? Um, so I f- cool. Yeah. And yeah. I feel very lucky and fortunate because the leadership, right, started this process. And so um, I was already there when the leadership decided to do it. I was just able to really branch it out and to expand the program. Um, but there's many people who want to do this, but it's really hard uh, to find a home, to get it approved. Um, again, it's, it's so sad because this is what our students need, but however, there's not really uh, a fit for it in the academic sector. There's a lot of things happening. I would call it in like the hidden curriculum. So things happening in advising or in during practices or things like that, but we're not seeing it in the academic coursework that there's a cat, a, a course listed in the catalog, social, emotional learning, right. Emotional intelligence, like 
or if you want to call it, which I, I hate this word, soft skills, right? A lot of people oh. know the soft skills more than emotional intelligence or employability skills. Um, these are things that are just not happening in the classroom and teaching them explicitly. Mm-hmm. I guess, how do you start to explain to like universities and businesses that this is something of value that they need to invest in to therefore invest in their students or employees? Like, how do you get that buy-in? Yeah, uh, it's it's very... Um, it's a hard sticky road and it depends on if you're private, if you're public, if you're, are you uh, an instructor? Are you a faculty member? Are you advisor? Um, who's your superintendent or not your superintendent, excuse me, your supervisor. Um, what does your leadership look like? So there's not like this blueprint and, and also social emotional learning and emotional intelligence is, is happening in very creative ways in higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is happening. It's just, happening maybe outside the classroom, not explicitly teaching it, but also I will say it's infused in the classroom in different ways. So like teachers will um, provide, you know, group work or collaborative uh, activities. They'll uh, maybe they're working in their own EQ and they're um, using their tone and their body language to really engage students. Right. So it is all happening, but um, I think a lot of people are just like, that's great that we're infusing it and it's happening in maybe hidden ways, but I really just want it to be explicit, a course in first year experience all the way through Mm -hmm. their senior year. So they're getting these touch points throughout, whether it be infused or in hidden ways throughout the campus, but then we're talking about in the classroom, they're learning these skills. And so it's really hard. um, And I hope that it gets better. They are practiced like each year you have to practice them if you're not practicing them. Absolutely. If it's not consistent and the other thing is a common language, right? So if it's not explicit or we have this common language, what I'm hearing from like my advisor might be very different from what my coach is saying, right? Mm -hmm. We're not, so it's not clicking, baby. I'm getting bits and pieces and I'm not explicitly learning it from a common language and from year one all the way to year four. So there's, there's those gaps there Mm -hmm. for sure. Do you ever have like dreams of in putting it somewhere in like a high school? I'd love, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I like, I would love to take my curriculum and say, let's run a high school class. I mean, it's especially for juniors and seniors. I just think yeah. it is. If I had that when I was a junior or senior, my life would be completely different. I would mm-hmm. had probably different friends, different associations. I would have made different decisions. Um, so I do think, you know, having a class in high school would be fantastic. But again, it's so hard to get it started or where to start, who to approve it. You know, I don't know. It's 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 very it's a very difficult process, but you need someone who is very passionate and who can champion that to get it into uh, into the classroom that way. Yeah, that's cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So if you know anybody. Who wants to champion that? Oh gosh. Get it into our high schools. That'd be fantastic. We'll probably come up with a list. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we dream big. Oh yeah. You never know. <laughs> yeah. We can dream big. Okay, so I will say that there might not be an explicit class. Um, and I don't even know if uh, second step. So second step is a new program. Um, I want to say, I definitely know that it's happening in elementary because my son is doing it, but it's a SEL curriculum that they are doing. Um, so they are getting some of that, but in the high school, I'm not sure if they're doing second step, but I do know that yoga for schools is, mm-hmm. is in there. Um, also two by two. And yes, so yes. there are things happening. So I shouldn't say that there's not, but it'd be great to have like explicit classes on those yeah. throughout their, throughout their years. Mm-hmm. So Side note. Sorry. I just wanted to add that. No, I think that's huge. Yeah. I mean, and I forgot that two by two and yeah. Yoga. With the yo- schools, yoga. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like more the subliminal approach. Yeah. It's less subliminal. Ex- yeah. yeah. It's less explicit, but like if it's under the radar, a kid doesn't necessarily know what it is or yeah. how to enact it. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. just having like resources around it. Like you said, just having a book or like hearing that language on, you know, on a daily basis yes. and yeah. also teaching like leadership that, you know, teaching you know, teaching teachers that language and just putting it into your everyday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Adele, yeah. Back to your question. Yeah. So, um, data, yeah. Data or like just even like qualitative stuff about how like different like decision making processes are, or like the success of students who have gone through a program like this compared to those who haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great question. So I did, 
a year long research project um, with six seconds. I, I received a grant, so I was able to use their assessments. And so um, I um, assessed all the personal empowerment classes from fall 21 to, uh, I believe, fall of 23. Is that correct? No. Fall of 20. Where are we at? I think it was during the pandemic. Help me out. So probably 20 to 21? 20. No, spring 21 to then spring 22. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. Because we're in, we're in 2023. Yeah, we're in winter. We're in winter 2023. Yes. So it was, it was during the pandemic a little bit, like not when it first started, but when we came back. Yeah. Yeah. Tail end of it. Um, So we assessed the personal empowerment classes um, a pre and post. And then we also had control groups. And so we compare that to say, um, you know, our students, emotional intelligence levels improving based upon this course. Um, and so we did see a difference and we saw, um, improvement on that, which was great. There's a case study on six seconds. If you go to six seconds, you can actually see the case study on university of Dubuque, oh, cool. um, which is, yeah, which is great. Um, so we want to continue the study just because it is a very unique thing. And I would love to see like what this looks like on a five-year scale, what this looks like maybe on a 10-year scale to like see patterns or, um, you know, just what does that look like? And there's so much that you can do with that data of, uh, you can by gender or by competencies or, you know, there's so much you can do. So we're continuing that study and, uh, we're on let's see year two, right? So we'll probably reconvene over the summer and take a look at it, but continue that for five years and then stop and see where they're at. But there's a lot of research when it is happening in the schools, especially um, Castle is an organization called Collaborative um, for Academic, Social and Emotional Learning. And they've done a lot of research on when social emotional learning is done effectively in schools, that there is a lot of great research about like um, decreased behavior, um, mm-hmm. issues, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, academic success rates are going up, um, that they're seeing improvement on um, brain health issues. Right. So just lower substance abuse and criminal activity. And so it's just really cool to see, um, that this can be really a resource for, uh, students overall well-being, but just success as well. Right. Yeah. That's neat. And that's probably the buy-in that it's like success rather than, oh, it just makes them feel better. Yes. Yep. That there's, yeah, success behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I feel like when you say the words emotional intelligence, you kind of, it's not that like squishy feeling of like, oh, we're going to dive into something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that might not, like you said, kind of not in like a therapy session, but yeah. just having other resources backing those. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really neat. Um, so if someone wanted to like reach out to you, about emotional intelligence, if they had questions, curious about like the data you've done or the, yeah, the research you've done, the data you've gathered, um, even about like all your doctorate stuff. I, I kind of forgot cause you finished that program last year. (laughs) Oh my God. So bad with dates. (laughs) It was like two years ago now. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember you touched on it a little bit uh, yeah. or you talked about it a little. So, um, I mean, if anyone wanted to get more information, like where could they find you? That's a great question. So I have a LinkedIn account so they can connect with me through LinkedIn. Um, and you can actually see a lot of, um, I believe a lot of the things that I've been on as far as six seconds and my publications are on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, so you can actually see, click on that, but then also just message me and we can connect that way and we can, um, you know, share different ideas or have conversation, but that's really, uh, one of my passions is, is connecting with people who are interested in this to see how we can maybe collaborate or how I can help in some area, mm-hmm. um, or just getting their thoughts about the, what EQ is and, and how that works in their own life. So I'm very open to connecting. So start with LinkedIn, you can see everything on there and then just connect with me and message me. And we'll, we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, yeah. um, try to get your LinkedIn put in the show notes Great. and then we can kind of go from there. Great. Yeah. And maybe a link to like your doctorate form so we can like, I'll read that. <laughs> you don't so, want to read my dissertation. It's yeah, like 325 <laughs> pages and it's super boring. So casual light reading. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that on the Libby app? Can I get that in audio? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it at the library? No, that'd be great. No. <laughs> um, at the end, we do a few uh, quick questions. Okay. Yep. Um, so these are kind of fun just to get, a, you know, I feel like we know you, but to know you better and yeah. for everyone, all of our <laughs> listeners to know you better. Yeah. Um, women who inspire you. 
Man, there's a lot, there's a lot of women that inspire me, but I think the one that I always go back to is my mom. Um, so my mom, you know, she, uh, she's just, she's very empowering to me. And I feel like that's how I became the strong person or who has a strong voice is because of her. Um, and I, you know, I saw her when I was growing up, she was a flight attendant. And so she was a flight attendant, um, for a long time, but she actually quit her job when I was seven and my brother was nine. And so she gave that up, um, to really be with us and to focus with us. And so, um, from that experience, like I just looked up to her to say, um, I see what you did. I appreciate you. Um, but to me, that was, that was super empowering to be like, to have this mom who was able to do what she did, but then made this intentional choice to be with us. So I thought to me, that was really grounding and foundational. Um, so she's always been an inspiration, but someone who I've always looked up to and, um, still have a really great relationship with today. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so your mom was a flight attendant back in like, attendant. Yeah. Back in the day. Okay. So listen to this. <laughs> she actually had to maintain a certain weight to keep her job. Wild. That's how crazy. Wild. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, back then the, the, I mean, the planes just looked different and like the amount of weight that could be on there. Yes. Oh, but my. the profession was just like, talk about, Oh, like women issues. Like, yeah. I'm like mom, it's <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely different today, but just some of the stories that she has and um, she's got some really cool stories. I mean, she's met some famous people. She's dated some famous people. Um, just by flying, going around the world. Um, my mom and dad actually did not have my brother and I for, I think it was like nine years because they just flew. I mean, they just oh, flew wow. around the world. So just pretty cool. Like she was able to live that out, but then make that intentional choice to really mm -hmm. say, you know, I'm going to focus on being a mom. So that was, that was really cool. That's neat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, I have so many questions for her. <laughs> <laughs> Next yeah. interview. Yeah. 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 So, How old is she now? Um, she's 74. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what content are you currently consuming? So I am a nerd and I love to be a lifelong learner. So I'm always like taking classes or courses. So I'm not, not really reading or podcasting, but I'm like in classes and courses. That's mm, kind that's of my cool. thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, you, I've heard, or I've talked a little bit about him, Daniel Goldman. He wrote the emotional intelligence book, right. In the nineties, but he has, developed this like online platform of courses and he's changed it up a lot. He's actually adding mindfulness to emotional intelligence. And so there's this, it's this e-learning system that's about six months long, but every single day there's a practice that you do. So there's a practice, there's a tool, and then there's a reflection. And so that's what I'm doing today. It's usually you read something, you watch a video, um, they provide a tool on it and then you sit and reflect on it. So that's what I'm doing right now. And it's been, it's been really nice to, um, see like deep breathing and body scans and these things. When we talk about emotional intelligence, because that is a big part, um, I think of trying to be intentional is doing all these other things. So I'm really excited to see, um, this work being included with emotional intelligence. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Good for you. Do you watch TV? Uh, only when I work out on the elliptical, uh, that's about it. Or with, I'm when I'm with my kids on the weekends, yep. usually. Yeah. um, but I mean, me and a mom, you just, you don't have time to do these things and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. M music. Yeah. I love, I mean, Spotify, I just put on whatever. Anything I love everything. Any, I love everything like country jazz, uh, heavy metal, you name it. Like I will listen awesome. to anything. I love that. So I'll do a Spotify. You can put on anything and I'm like, I love it. So Spotify is my thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Um, beverage of choice. Oh, um, coffee. Come on. Just, just coffee. <laughs> coffee. Like my, my routine is I wake up, I drink coffee. I drink a lot of water. I'll have a diet Coke at night and then I'll have a decaf coffee at night. I mean, that is like my thing. That All is, right. that is my that is awesome. beverages. That the Megan was saying, um, what was hers? Uh, diet Dr. Pepper. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's good too. Yeah. We discussed last week about how Nat has a once a quarter Dr. Pepper. But it has to be fountain. It has to be a fountain oh, Dr. Pepper. Got it. Got it. And like, today was that day. Yeah. I texted it out. I was like, <laughs> For I quarter my, one. my quarterly <laughs> soda intake. <laughs> So if, if you're a Diet Coke fan, like McDonald's fountain Diet Coke is 
so good. I've heard that. It is so, and you like can, why? I have no idea, <laughs> but you cannot get a diet Coke fountain drink anywhere else, but McDonald's. I mean, that, that's like it's the place to be. It is the place to be. That's yeah. how I feel about Starbucks is water. Oh, cause they filter it like, so oh, like so much. Okay. All right. I know when I was pregnant with Jocko, I like craved their water. Like I would go through their drive through and waste all of their resources just for just her water. water. Like, wow, we're making a lot of money off this girl. I know. I would get other things. I would get a coffee and then I'd be like, can I have a really large water? That is wrong with you. Sure. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's uh, funny. Final question. What does community look like to you? Oh man, that's, that's a good question too. I think when I, when I saw that question, I was thinking community, like bigger community, like Dubuque or where I live in Asbury, but I kind of, to get more of a self-awareness of like how many communities do I actually have in my life? Right. Like there's so many different communities that I have. And I think what community means to me in those spaces is if I fully feel like I am part of that community, I have to have this like strong sense of belonging, like, mm-hmm. so I yeah. can be able to be my authentic self, but then other people also have that sense of belonging where they can be authentic. And so I think it really is just about connection and purpose and just that sense of belonging. And so I I think there are communities where I don't necessarily have that feeling. And so I think that's something where maybe um, it's not forced upon, but it's a community that I maybe have to be in because of a certain situation. And Mm -hmm. so that's maybe a community of people where I don't feel that. And I, I always think that I want to tend back to those communities who I have that sense of belonging because that's, that is where my authentic self is. So when I think about that, that's where my head went. I was like, I have so many communities. I don't know how to, how to really wrap my head around that. So, okay. Well, thank you for being here. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I feel like we tap you for a lot of resources and for a lot of your knowledge and we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Hopefully um, we get a retreat this next year and hopefully you can be at our retreat. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Two nights for treat. I know. That's Yoga, on, that's coffee. Exactly. Wine, Recre- Recreating. Oh, that's awesome. Just kind of combine all of our programs into one. Yeah. Into one weekend. Yeah. Ooh. We're going to see what we can do. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to And We Go On. Check out our show notes for links and additional education. We would love to hear from you. So please leave us a review. Be the first to sponsor And We Go On, a She Unites podcast. Get your name out in the community, in person, and online. For more info, email sheunitesiowa at gmail.com. She Unites is a 501c3 nonprofit organization registered in the state of Iowa. We are proud to be a 100% donation-supported organization. Our spaces, speakers, and programming are all gifted by those who support our vision, because we are better together. If you feel compelled to join us in the She Unites mission, please donate at sheunitesiowa.com. Follow us on Instagram at SheUnitesIowa for the latest and greatest from our organization.